Hello, and welcome to the USF Emergency Medicine Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Adam Kobe, and welcome to the USF Emergency Medicine Residency Podcast. Today, let's discuss uh, the neurologic emergencies, and this is a very broad topic, so let's just jump right in. First, we can discuss spontaneous subarachnoid and intracerebral hemorrhage. If missed, these can produce devastating results, so early recognition and aggressive management is key. Subarachnoid hemorrhage is the leakage of blood into the subarachnoid space, most often due to a ruptured intracranial aneurysm, likely found in the circle of Willis. Risk factors include hypertension, smoking, excessive alcohol use, polycystic kidney disease, and don't forget those Marfans and Ehlers-Danlos. There's a broad differential for this, uh, given the presentation, so don't forget about stroke, drug toxicity, infection, tumor, and so on. Classically, the presentation is a sudden severe headache, termed thunderclap headache, which reaches maximal intensity within, within minutes. And a patient can still experience a subarachnoid hemorrhage even if it isn't the worst headache of their life, which is why it is important to ask about the headache intensity as well as the quality in comparison to prior headaches. Patients may also have loss of consciousness, altered mental status, and so forth. To diagnose subarachnoid hemorrhage, the initial modality of choice is a non-contrast CT of the head. Sensitivity is estimated to be 98% within the first 6 to 12 hours of onset of symptoms. If a subarachnoid hemorrhage is suspected, however, the CT is negative, a lumbar puncture is typically next, and the two CSF's tests of greatest interest are the presence of xanthochromia, which is the yellow appearance of the CSF, and the RBC count. However, there is no clear-cut cutoff for the RBCs in the literature. Um, And in general, if the CT is negative and the LP is clean, a SAH can be reliably ruled out. The treatment of a subarachnoid hemorrhage should target the prevention of complications, uh, such as re-bleeding, vasospasm, uh, cerebral infarction, cerebral edema, um, hydrocephalus, and so forth. Make sure you, do, you continue to do neuro checks um, and make sure you check for pupillary responses and Glasgow Coma Scale. Uh, you want to maintain a MAP less than 140 while avoiding hypotension. And for blood pressure, you can use titratable IV antihypertensives such as labetalol and nicardipine. Make sure you avoid nitroprusside and nitroglycerin because they increase cerebral blood flow, uh, cerebral blood volume and ICP. Remember to treat the pain and nausea as this will help control your blood pressure and make sure you control the potential risks of vasospasm, uh, which are most common two days to three weeks after SAH, um, and you can protect this with nemotipine. And consideration of seizure prophylaxis is supported by the guidelines. However, it is controversial and should be discussed with intensivists or neurosurgeon and you would disposition this patient to the ICU with a neurosurgery consult. Next up, we have intracerebral hemorrhage, and this is actually twice as common as SAH, and it carries a very high mortality and morbidity. The risk factors include hypertension, AVMs, aneurysms, anticoagulation therapy, the use of sympathomimetic drugs, and so forth. Clinical features include your headache, your nausea and vomiting that usually precede neurologic, dis- neurologic deficits. 
hemorrhage signs are located to the region that the hemorrhage is located in. So for instance, uh, cerebellar hemorrhage, you would expect to see dizziness, vomiting, truncal ataxia, and depressed loss of lo uh, level of consciousness. Imaging should begin with a CT scan, which is optimal for demonstrating hemorrhage extension into the ventricles, whereas MRI is superior for demonstrating underlying structural lesions. Lab workup should include your basic lab works such as CBC, coag studies, blood type and screen, the urine pregnancy, the drug screen, so forth. Uh, treatment should include the ABCs. Um, make sure you keep doing neuro checks and manage their hyperthermia potentially, seizure management potentially. Uh, if you need to, reverse the coagulopathy um, and remember to raise the head of the bed to 30 degrees and provide pain relief. Invasive ICP monitoring is usually indicated um, and make sure you review the reversal agents for the anticoagulation medications and dispo this patient to the ICU with neurosurgery consult. Next up, let's discuss stroke syndromes. And just briefly, stroke is generally defined as any disease process that interrupts blood flow to the brain. This includes ischemic, which is the most common, uh, your hemorrhagic as well as non-traumatic SAH. Uh, with this lack of blood flow, the neurons die within minutes without the supplied nutrients and oxygen. It is important to exclude stroke mimics, and the list of mimics is long, uh, but briefly, you have a few right here. So hypoglycemia, seizures, and altered mental status from intoxication. Uh, briefly, neuroanatomy. Um, circulation of the brain is broken up into the anterior and posterior circulation. The anterior is comprised of ophthalmic artery, the ACA, and the MCA. And the posterior circulation is made up of the vertebral system, which supplies blood to the brainstem, cerebellum, thalamus, as well as the auditory, visual, occipital cortex. Um, so... History taking should include uh, the time of onset, as this is very important for determining the, uh, the whether or not you're going to give TPA. Um, and make sure you ask about what was going on surrounding the time of the symptoms, such as neck manipulation from a chiropractor, which would indicate cervical artery dissection. Um, and make sure you ask about risk factors such as hypertension, diabetes, and AFib. And your physical exam should always include the NIH stroke scale. Ischemic strokes can be further broken down into thrombotic, and think atherosclerosis and vasculitis. Uh, they can be also broken down into embolic, which would be your AFib, valvular vegetations, or even paradoxical emboli. And lastly, your hypoperfusion um, strokes, which would be the cardiac failure resulting in hypotension and subsequent injury to the watershed areas of the brain. Um, and, you know, make sure you go over your uh, different stroke syndromes, such as the ACA strokes, which they're very uncommon, but they cause contralateral sensory and motor symptoms in the lower extremity while sparing the hands and the face. Um, if you get stroke in the MCA, which is the most common, uh, this has variable symptoms um, and typically presents with hemiparesis, facial plegia, and sensory loss contralateral to the, to the affected side. Um, and so you should know, though, that the, if the dominant hemisphere is involved, aphasia, either receptive or expressive, may be present. And if the non-dominant hemisphere is involved, 
you may see inattention, neglect, dysarthria, without aphasia, and apraxia. Your posterior cerebral artery infarction uh, classically includes nystagmus, uh, ataxia, altered mental status, and vertigo. However, the findings can be subtle, and you may see crossed neurodeficits. Um, your basilar artery occlusion, uh, you, you can actually see the, you know, the dreaded locked-in syndrome, which uh, is your, um, characterized as complete muscle paralysis, except for upward gaze and blinking. You can also have an infarction of the cerebellum, which would give you dizziness with or without vertigo, nausea, vomiting, gait instability, and so forth. Um, to view these, uh, the cerebellar infarctions, you would use an MRI diffusion weighted, uh, as this is ideal for imaging the posterior fossa. And for these, make sure you obtain an early neurosurgery consult because the risk of edema leading to herniation and acute obstructing hydrocephalus is real. Um, lacunar infarctions, you will see either pure motor or pure sensory uh, deficits, never a mix. And, and if you have uh, neck trauma or neck manipulation, consider, again, uh, carotid or vertebral artery dissections. Um, and to treat these classically, you're treated with IV heparin followed by warfarin. Uh, but, but evidence is weak on whether or not anticoagulation is any better than antiplatelet therapy. Um, so when it comes to managing stroke, make sure you do the ABCs and establish IV access, do all the supportive care you would for most patients. Um, but you would like to perform a non-contrast head CT uh, to exclude hemorrhage. Vascular imaging, such as CT angiography, is strongly recommended only in patients eligible for endovascular therapies, but these therapies should not delay TPA administration. Perfusion studies should be performed if the patient falls outside of the window uh, for thrombolysis, or when the time of symptom onset is unclear. Make sure you address the patient's uh, dehydration, their hypoxia, their hyperpyrexia, or their hyperglycemia. Don't forget to give an aspirin 325 within the first 24 to 48 hours if no TPA is given. In regards to hypertension, it is important to allow for permissive hypertension up to 220 systolic if the patient is not a candidate for thrombolytics or reperfusion measures. And remember to lower the systolic blood pressure up to 15% in the first 24 hours. And remember, if the patient is a candidate for TPA, you can actively attempt to lower the blood pressure to meet the target parameters of less than 185 systolic or 110 diastolic. Let's briefly discuss TPA. Uh, so TPA is a thrombolytic um, to dose it, it's 0.9 milligrams per kilogram IV with a max dose of 90 mgs. So, and, and you administer the first 10% over the first minute and the remaining 90% over the next 60 minutes. Do not give if the time of onset is not reliably determined. Um, and, you know, make sure you review the inclusion and exclusion criteria, as this is very important. Um, if you can't give TPA, you have endovascular therapy, um, which is an increased, uh, which is a great area of interest right now, um, and it can be extended beyond the TPA window of four and a half hours. 
So moving on to a brief discussion on TIAs, which are transient episodes of neurologic dysfunction um, without acute infarction. A a TIA should be viewed as, in quotes, the unstable angina of the brain. Uh, That being, it's an ominous harbinger of potential future vascular event in the brain. Um, Make sure you review your ABCD2 score to predict stroke risk after a TIA. Um, And the use of aspirin after a TIA is well accepted in addition to another antiplatelet agent. Um, As far as ischemia goes, special populations, uh, you you have a stroke or a TIA with concurrent myocardial infarction. Um, Make sure you weigh the pros and the cons of heparin use because it is not recommended in strokes alone, but can help reduce extension or reinfarction in the setting of acute MI. Um, Patients with sickle cell, they should receive similar supportive treatment to those without sickle cell. However, an exchange transfusion should be considered, as this is the ultimate treatment. Uh, Pregnant women, uh, they are at risk for stroke, and the greatest risk of stroke for them is actually in the postpartum period. And a CT non-con is still the method of choice in the acute setting. Uh, TPA is not an absolute contraindication in pregnancy, uh, it does not it does not cross the placenta so let's shift the discussion a little bit to acute peripheral neurologic disorders when evaluating any patient with what you think is a peripheral disorder you must first exclude the central processes such as stroke or spinal cord injury um, and so just to remind you uh, central lesions will have upper motor neuron signs such as babinski spasticity and hyperreflexia whereas peripheral lesions will have your lower motor neuron signs, such as hypoactive reflexes, loss of proprioception, weakness, and so forth. Let's begin with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, This is an immune-mediated acute polyneuropathy, leading to destruction of the myelin sheath or the axon itself. Uh, This is likely preceded by a viral or bacterial illness, Uh, so think Campylobacter. And this is classically de- uh, defined as an ascending symmetric weakness or paralysis. Uh, and you can have areflexia or hyporeflexia. The diaphragm may become involved, so make sure you protect the airway. Uh, the diagnosis is mostly historical, but you can perform an LP. And if you do, it may be remarkable for albuminocytologic dissociation, which is an increase in the protein level without pleocytosis. And so treatment for, for this usually involves monitoring the airway. Um, you, if you do decide to intubate the patient, make sure you avoid depolarizing neuromuscular blockers such as succinylcholine because of the risk of hyperkalemia. IV immunoglobulin and plasmapheresis will shorten the time of recovery. If you disposition this patient into the hospital, uh, dispo, dispo them to the ICU for continued airway monitoring. Um, be aware that there is a variant called Miller-Fisher syndrome. It's rare, uh, but it's defined as a triad of ataxia, areflexia, and ophthalmoplegia. Next is Bell's palsy and unilateral facial paralysis. Uh, this may be preceded by pain around or behind the ear. Facial numbness or hyperesthesia can accompany paralysis, as well as a decreased taste. Um, so in, on the physical exam, you'll see a facial droop, uh, an effacement of wrinkles or, and forehead burrows, 
and inability to completely close the eye. Alternative diagnosis, uh, diagnoses include ear infections and stroke. So besides the stroke, uh, you, can, you can assess them for stroke normally, uh, but make sure you always perform the ear exam and assess the mastoids. Treatment is with corticosteroids and there is no benefit from antivirals in this case. If the eye is involved and they can't close it completely, make sure you patch it, uh, give them opto follow-up, and you can give ocular lubricants. There's usually a three-week recovery. Uh, however, there are 15% of patients who will develop permanent paralysis. Um, in contrast, there's a, another process called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which is herpes zoster oticus. This is another unilateral facial nerve palsy that uh, is accompanied with severe pain and vesicular eruptions on the face. Um, cranial nerve 8 may be involved uh, with the associated vertigo, nausea, and hearing loss. And in contrast uh, to Bell's palsy, this does include the antivirals as treatment in addition to the corticosteroids. Um, Lyme disease may also come with neuropathies. Uh, you can have central lesions versus peripheral. They can be acute versus chronic. Um, ultimately, you should look for the tick bite um, and look for the telltale rash of erythema or migraines. Um, if you see a tick, remove it. Um, and you can treat it with doxy. Mononeuropathies, so you, you know, just briefly review them. So you have your median nerve, your deep perineal nerve. You may even see neuralgia, paresthetica. Um, each of these has their own treatments. Um, and now moving on to neuromuscular junction disorders. Botulism, which is the toxin-mediated uh, disease found in the soil and honey. Uh, and this is why babies can't eat honey. It binds to the presynaptic membrane to prevent release of acetylcholine at the peripheral nerve synapse. Classically, this produces a descending symmetric paralysis. You can have diplopia, dysarthria, and dysphagia. Pupils are often dilated and non-reactive to light. Think botulism if a baby is floppy and has a weak cry and poor feeding. Treatment is supportive, so make sure you secure the airway if needed. Uh, use the botulinum equine antitoxin if available, um, and also you can use the human botulism immunoglobulin if available. Um, as we said before with a tick paralysis, uh, make sure you remove the tick if necessary. Um, and with this, you will see ascending weakness and paralysis. The bulbar nerves and diaphragm may also become involved. Uh, lastly, we have cauda equina syndrome. This is the compression of the conus medullaris, either by uh, herniated disc, bone fragments, hematomas, infections, and so forth. Um, and so to make sure this isn't happening, you will do MRI as your modality of choice in imaging. Um, and you know the symptoms typically include low back pain, leg pain, lower extremity paralysis, and paresthesias with saddle anesthesia and or urinary retention. Um, in fact, urinary retention is the most specific symptom, and you can also see hyperreflexia and spasticity uh, as this is an upper motor neuron sign um, disease. Uh, make sure you do a bedside ultrasound to check for post-void residual, and this is a surgical emergency, so consult neurosurgery earlier than later. Uh, anyway, thanks again uh, for listening. Um, that wraps up neuro neuro neurologic emergencies, uh, so thanks for listening.